are listening to Cover Stories, a deep dive into the stories behind iconic album art with Adam Charlie O. Gurr is a greatest hits album released by the Rolling Stones on November 9th, 2012 to commemorate the band's 50th anniversary. It included two new songs to help capture the fans who had to own every song, good or bad, of which I am one. Gurr seems to have been a common reaction of Rolling Stones fans when they learned the title of this 50th anniversary compilation and saw its cover. This was the album art a lot of people loved to hate, and it was not just the fans. The BBC said, On the debit side, the stupid title and stupider cover artwork of Gurr seemed to suggest that enthusiasm was in short supply as the Stones camp approached yet another permutation of their greatest hits. Fans' hatred of the title and cover is well documented, in 60 pages of a discussion on the IORR.org discussion forum entitled Gurr, the Rolling Stones. Here's a sampling of some of the comments that can be seen there. If that's the cover and title, it's shockingly bad. And the title, Gurr? I am stunned. It's surreal. Awful title for an album celebrating 50 years of one of the world's greatest musical acts. It sounds and looks like a fucking joke. The cover, title, and concept are terrible, ridiculous, and boring in that order. What happened to these guys? It's the kitsch cover art and crap title that have me upset. This is just a really, really bad decision. I hope for their sake they change the artwork now. This is horrific. Cartoon Gorilla equals Stone's artwork. Unreal. Grr. Really? Who came up with that title? A two-year-old? I can't wait for the interview explaining this childish artwork. No one will actually like this artwork. It makes zero sense. There is no backstory, no theme, nothing that can redeem this artwork. Perhaps so, but I must try. Walton Ford is an artist in the league with the most talented men and women the Stones have chosen to grace the cover of a Stones album with their art. He was born in 1960 in Larchmont, New York, and went to college with the intention of becoming a filmmaker. A talented storyteller, he took up the challenge of telling his stories in large-scale watercolors. He would blend depictions of natural history with political commentary. Ford's animal portraits are layered with clues, jokes, and erudite lessons in history and folk tales. The 1933 movie King Kong contains a line character Aaron Darrow, played by Faye Ray, says to Jack Driscoll, played by Bruce Cabot. I don't like to look at him, Jack. It makes me think of that awful day on the island. Ford used this line as the title of a 2011 exhibition at the Paul Kasman Gallery on 10th Avenue in New York City. His King Kong tribute comprised a trio of large watercolors painted in 2011 each nine feet high and 12 feet wide, that breathes powerful emotion into the expressive face of the beast. These paintings reflected Ford's experience of his recent divorce and his father's death. On the record, Ford claimed he had wanted to paint King Kong for years. Ford said, 
The Depression-era Kong was misshapen, not modeled on any living ape. He has an odd, ugly, shifting charisma like Cagney, Edward G. Robinson, or Bogart. Naturally, his woman screamed in terror. She continued screaming throughout their time together. The grief of the original Kong is the grief of the unloved, and like Humbert Humbert or Frankenstein, the grief of the unlovable. In 1933, Faye Ray says words that would break any suitor's heart. She shrinks from the chain Kong and tells her human lover, I don't like to look at him. Since Kong is a Hollywood tough guy, he covers up his heartbreak with violence and anger. These paintings are about Kong's heartbreak. I wanted to reveal the monster's grief, his enormous sadness, the sorrow that the original Kong kept hidden from view. It was not until his divorce and the death of his father that he had fully experienced the anguish of being unable to have what you really want, to have the thing you love. The idea was to give this monster the chance to grieve properly, to provide a real resolution to heartbreak. This was the beast that would become the transformed cover ape for the Stones' anniversary album. Let's hit the pause button and chat a bit. All right, so let's start with the important stuff here. How many R's are at the end of grr? I just need to know how long to go there. You can go three. Three. Okay, yeah. grr. Um, you know, it's interesting where you started on the research for the Rolling Stones 50th <laughs> birthday greatest hits compilation, oh, grr. Um, I was kind of shocked to have read the reactions to this cover. But it's like that for everyone, every, everyone recently. In Is recent it years. Really? Yeah, there are always a bunch of people who, you know, are going to criticize the cover art or yeah. the title or something. But this one, uh, it seemed, it didn't have as many defenders. Usually there's a defender for every detractor, but this time, yeah, the detractors were just all over the place. And like I said, this went on for pages and pages. So it's that was so just wild. A, that was just a sampling of, of what people were saying about it. Yeah, and I'm never aware of that part of the that part of the fallout of part of the mm -hmm. process. You know, aside from the fact that I'm always happy to dig into a greatest hits compilation, I think it's really neat to you know dissect or you know disagree with or applaud the track selection. It's neat to see how the band puts these things together. Yeah. But I also happen to think this art rules. You know, I. I love it, and I think it's also the best font the Stones ever employed. That's a little side note there, but to me, I think all the offense probably comes from either the price tag and the fact that it's another <laughs> reshuffled playlist of the Stones classics that we all already own. But I gotta say, yeah. Doom and Gloom, um, Doom and Gloom alone was almost worth the price of admission. It's their fiftieth birthday. What do you expect? You know? Yeah, yeah, and and I think you made a good point. <laughs> About the price because uh it's for completists oh, you know and they oh, throw yeah. in an extra song or two and and like i said i i'm one of them so you gotta have it so i get those other two songs but how many different ways can you have these songs kind of strung together to that, make an album that's right and i guess know? we don't know the answer yet because there's surely a 75th anniversary album coming well it's funny because you know i was thinking about the rolling stones in terms of their greatest hits compilations you know of which there are many but there are songs in between Hot Rocks and Jump Back and Jump Back and Gurr that do, you know, beg inclusion. And I yeah. think it's uh, at times necessary. So don't like it, don't buy it. But we're, we're here to talk about it. So <laughs> as you said, though, Walton Ford, 
the cover artist for Gurr, is among the most talented artists the Stones have ever hired. To be honest, I think he may take top billing for me if I'm the one dishing out the awards. You know, his epic scale and painstakingly detailed animal illustrations are unmatched. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. Yeah, if you don't know the man, check him out on the internet. Got some really neat stuff. Yeah, so one thing that I found sort of relevant, albeit inadvertently, is that he's known to focus on extinct species at times. Mm -hmm. And the stones are a collective mammal that defies extinction, you know, which I I find uh, sort of apt. But, you know, hearing Ford's explanation of that enormous and grieving ape, that Grace is the cover of this, was really illuminating. I don't know how it felt for you. Yeah, it was a neat story. And, and it made better. You know, a, a lot of times these people don't give you the time of day, but Walton Ford was pretty cool. He he talked and, you know, he was willing to talk about the work that he did and everything. So it made it a little more human. You it's know, really me. cool, yeah. Yeah, he was really hurting with his divorce and his father's death. And, and you know, that, that idea of wanting what you can't have uh, is is really what's at the base of grief and all that. I thought that was, yeah, that was pretty human. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because our similarity, you know, in DNA, the ape really means that we tend to project our own rich emotional world onto what we see and, you know, gorillas sure. and chimps. Of, yeah, of you both, see that face and you're trying to, to suss it out. Of both lore and the zoo, as yeah. it were, you know, but... I do, I, what I really like about it is it explains Ford's innate sense of emotional longing and at times despair. Mm-hmm. You can really see when looking through his impressive portfolio. There's, there's a bunch of them. One in particular that hit me was a snake um, with uh, you know, a countless number of birds flying into its mouth that was really intense hmm. for uh, some particular reason. So anyway, as my dad said, do seek out Ford's work. It's tremendous. But... You know, tying his familial experiences to the grieving King Kong is just a touch of genius. And I think empathy that is rarely expressed so plainly in fine art. Like you said, he was very open with his process and the meaning behind some of his works. And I think that's something that's oftentimes lost, you know, behind this veil of pretense that we get from the fine arts of the world. Yeah. You know, so pretty cool. But we'll, uh, we'll, we'll dig more into it in part two. The Rolling Stones put a lot of effort into their 50th anniversary celebrations. A compilation of recordings was, of course, a big part of that. When it came time to consider cover art, Mick Jagger asked his friend, contemporary artist Walton Ford, to design a cover. Ford said, Mick had seen my paintings at Paul Kasman Gallery and had bought a painting and some prints of mine. When the 50th anniversary came, the Stones were looking for artists to create visuals for the celebration. This was Ford's first album cover art project. Asked who came up with the album concept, Ford said, Mick and I had lunch and it seemed like we both came up with the concept together. I had just finished the King Kong project, so it felt fairly obvious to want to build upon that. I see the Stones as kind of silverbacks in the rock and roll world anyway. Ford, who made a career painting naturalist scenes, repurposed one of his recently completed sympathetic paintings of King Kong. A longtime Stones fan, Ford acted in the spirit of the 70s, National Lampoon magazine, and grotesque underground comics, and added the Stones' tongue and lips logo to the Great Ape. Comparing the Stones to King Kong, Ford said, All the metaphors of King Kong and all of that are applicable. 
their kind of enormity of their accomplishment over the period of 50 years. Explaining the choice process, Ford said, Mick and Charlie got the ball rolling with me and presented the other stones with the ideas that we had come up with. It's a proper democracy. Everyone has veto power and a say. They don't move forward unless everyone is on board. The Stones loved the image, and they decided to use it on the cover of their 50th anniversary compilation, as well as a centerpiece in their massive marketing campaign for their 50 and counting tour, including a unique augmented reality marketing campaign. The Stones released a statement that said in part, The irreverence of Walton Ford's imagery captured the spirit of the tour. Asked about the origin of the album title, Ford replied, The Stones named the album after I made the painting. They embraced their silverback role and went with Grr. Vinyl discs were contained in a box, so the album cover was the box lid. It had the band name in black, the album title in red, and the artwork, a brown-eyed ape with a family resemblance to King Kong, except for his fang, Stones logo, lips, teeth, and tongue. The rear cover was the bottom of the box that contained the records. The rear of the album is a simple track listing with the production credits at the left bottom. There are five vinyl LPs in the set. Each LP has five tracks per side. Individual sleeves for the vinyl discs were simple. The disc number and Gurr font is found on one side, and the disc track list is found on the flip side. The band name and album title are written in a very distinctive Gurr font created by Hingston Studios, which handled the art direction for the project. Not everyone was pleased with the logo, and Ford responded. He said, A lot of people didn't like it at all. That was good. I was glad they didn't like it. I mean, the last people who I wanted to please were Rolling Stones fans. They are really nasty. It's a general rule they have a fan base that just seems to be always angry at the Rolling Stones for a lot of reasons. They've got their own grudges. I shouldn't say that I didn't really care. I probably did care. But when the Rolling Stones were doing their best work, they were a step ahead of the people that loved them so much. I thought, how cool that I get an opportunity to piss their fans off. Ford did a pretty credible job of reproducing the logo on the Gorilla cover. John Pasha would be proud of the likeness. A Stones album cover stirred its first controversy in April 1964, when the Stones dared to release an album with no title and no band name. In their 50th year as a band, they were still at it. This time it was the fans who criticized the cover. The Rolling Stones are the proverbial 600-pound gorilla of rock and roll. If all they have to say after 50 years in the business is, well, that's okay with me. Let's hit the pause button and chat a bit. So it's no surprise that Mick Jagger was both a fan of and friends with Walton Ford, right? No surprise at all. Yeah. So Mick, you know, probably considers himself a cultural polymath of sorts. I'll give him that designation as well. Mm -hmm. And I know he had purchased a Ford original. Do you have any idea what Mick's galleries at home <laughs> might look like? Or at his homes might look like? I've, yeah. I've never really heard about or read about much of that you can imagine he's no got i guess that's a, a well-kept secret as well he's got some pieces yeah, I'd imagine, yeah i right? would think so yeah over the years so ford and mick have a productive lunch date sort of brainstorm the addition of the, the stone's tongue uh -huh. to this piece which was pre-existing right 
Well, it's an adaptation. Yes. The, the, what he uh, showed in the uh, I, I Don't Like to Look at Him uh, show, it's, you know, he's got three gorillas and it's uh, it's an adaptation of those. So yeah. he, he didn't just paste the, the logo onto one of those three faces. Yeah, it seems like, you know, in order work, to add that, from that. So in order to add that, you know, Stone's tongue logo that we all know, it seems like he sort of, uh, you know, tilted the face or put the, the gorilla more in profile. Which, uh, which which worked really well. Yeah. So it's not part of the original triptych, but uh, any idea uh, if the Stones wanted something specifically like this, or why they didn't pick one of the the pre existing ones? Well, Mick went to that show. He liked those. Yeah, uh, and I guess he's enough of an artist to understand. Yeah, you're not going to take that and 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 just uh, give it to us. So yeah, give me an adaptation of this. Give me a, a, a version of this, and and the the uh, the cover gorilla doesn't look as quite as despair. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, the despair is not there. He's a, a little bit more bright eyed and, and optimistic looking. I yeah, think. the eyes are a little less wide, yeah. a little less shocked. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting, you know. My my thought was the Rolling Stones also have enough cultural cachet that I like this. Make one for us. Yeah, you know, which which I yeah. thought was kind of well, cool. Well, yeah, I think that's probably the way it went. Yeah, yeah. So I do like that Ford also acknowledged the King Corn, King Corn, King Kong <laughs> metaphors uh, when portraying the band, of which he was a fan, right? Yeah. So he's a, he's yeah. a Stones fan, so it's easier. That always helps. But to me, King Kong always represented the repercussions of using the natural world for personal gain. Not that's not an original thought of mine. It's just what the movie always sort of stood for and. You know, a number of things more than that, but yeah, exploitation of nature. Yeah, and so I'm sure I could shoehorn a Stones metaphor there, but I'd be forcing it, you know. But more directly, and maybe more obviously, I see the Stones in that original movie. I see them a lot. I had to go back and watch just clips of it, you know, caught it on YouTube, of which the entire film's on there. So if you're interested, so do yourself a favor, play along at home here. But you know, it's a massive beast. Who was as capable of destruction and fighting as it was really tender moments, you yeah. know, typified when he's lying or sitting down licking his various wounds. That particular gur of his is reduced to a whimper at times. Yeah. And that duality has always been huge for me as a Stones fan. Who's the beast and who's the man? We're both. We are both. And they embody that unanswerable question as much as the great ape himself. Which I think is pretty cool, you know. <laughs> yeah, but nice point. Ford's insistence on intentionally pissing off the fan base is very <laughs> rock and roll, in my opinion. Yeah, which, I like that. I like which that. makes him the perfect match for the the Stones presenting this. So, I think anyone that doesn't get it, so to speak, needs to go back to the Rolling Stones textbook. I believe it's actually one of their best covers, and Gur is a deceptively expressive title. So the dictionary says it's. Typically used to express anger and annoyance, essentially just an utterance. But I find it hilarious because I read through the entirety of those wildly opinionated fan takedowns online. So they were the ones that were ultimately uh, angry and annoyed yeah. and ex expressed <laughs> that very in a very primal, uh, primitive right. way. Yeah. So it seems simple, but if a human is the one growling... I can assure you there's a story there, Absolutely. you know? So thanks for smoking this one out of the cave. I didn't know it was so rich. But, uh, you know, if you can't afford it, Gurr is also not on Spotify, so you shouldn't be offended at all. <laughs> we'll see you on our next one. All right, next time.